Hey guys, I'm Danny. And I'm EJ. And this is the Your Living Proof Podcast. Where we talk about addiction and how it affects the family. From the brutal to the beautiful and everything in between. Hey everybody, how you doing? Welcome back to another episode. Wow. What? Just hit some button and it started making sounds. Oh. That was kind of fun. Yeah. I guess you don't get to hear that. <laughs> I didn't hear it because I don't have my I headphones, have headphones on. Nope. She just sits over there with her pretty smile and her pretty hair. No, I just don't like to wear the headphones because it makes me feel claustrophobic. Should we talk about getting hair done? Sure. It's this thing. Today I didn't have to do my hair for the podcast because somebody else did it for me. Oh, my gosh. How many... How many other people can relate. They go out and do this hair thing. It's expensive. It's several hours. Wait. And it comes back and it looks the exact same. No, it looks way better. You're wrong. Sorry. If you're blonde, you completely understand hair day. It's a good day. Okay. So fine. you're we you're not you're things. not right, Danny. Sorry. Our things. But, but it, I did miss three calls in while I was getting my hair done from our son at school, which was exciting. Yeah, we found out I missed the calls too. So our poor child could not reach either one of us. And we all know in today's society that just means terror yeah pandemonium nowadays well tell him what happened so he um called and i couldn't even understand him because he was crying so hard but he got hurt at recess he got he collided with somebody else playing football and and poor kid just got wrecked like his mouth was bleeding and his face was already like really bruised by the time i got to him and oh he just needed a hug and some ice and to not be at school yeah. so <laughs> Well, he's playing football. I coach him and his friends and their football team, and they just didn't have any gear on. And you can't. Yeah, you can't collide. It turns out you can't go head to head. But it is. And today's episode 70. Yes. That is a lot. So awesome. And I just want to say thank you guys for being on this journey with us because I love recording this podcast. I love hearing from people um, when they tell me that they're listening and they love it and they're getting so much from it. And it's just so, so nice. And it's just been such a fun journey, like an unexpected journey that we went on. Yeah. Um, but it's so great. And this podcast is for anyone who loves someone struggling with addiction. That's, that is like exactly who this podcast is for, which basically means it's for everyone because we all know somebody that's struggling with addiction. So. Yeah. Unfortunately that's the case. It's no longer, Oh, it was my, it was like my third uncle on my mother's side. We did some genealogy and realized that he was an alcoholic. It's right yeah. in your home. It's your spouse. It's your child. It's your sibling. It is. And that's unfortunate. But we want to be a resource to help you better help them. So we have an important topic today. But I do want to share something personal. I, I have a lot of people who divulge, I think, very personal things. Yeah. And I actually find it to be an honor. And it's it's kind of because I've always worn my heart on my sleeve and I'm transparent about what I'm doing. And that's something recovery taught me. <clears throat> but one of the things that also taught me is to be malleable. Is that the right word? Yeah. I always have to check. When I use bigger words, I have to check with her because if I don't say it the right way, which is often, she'll give me that look. And I'm just like, oh, no. It's a loving look. She says it's endearing at times. I'm like, no. It's not. You're, you're it's not when you say snook, but anyway. Let's talk about that. Danny thinks snook is a word. If you think snook is a word, know that you're okay. wrong. If okay, someone was in the bushes you and you look back and they snook up on you? No, it's not snook. S-N-E-C-K. I, I, I can't find it. How do you spell snook? S-N-O-O-K, snook. Okay, no. 
So that's, that's a true thing. We still argue. I am going to my grave with the fact that it's right. I'm going to put it on your headstone. Same with Danny snook in. Same with a wolf. Like if you're like, what smells good or what smells bad? Did you get a wolf of that? That's a whiff. W-I-F-F. See. This Sorry, is guys. It, you guys. Sorry. I went to BYU. She's so, she's, what? <laughs> she, she's so stubborn that she, it, she's always right. And I if she is right, right it doesn't matter because there's other things that she's not right in. Okay. So let's get back to what we're doing. But I do, okay, yeah. back to what get I was saying. Get back on topic. My recovery has taught me a lot of things to be malleable, but also to be humble, to be teachable, to ask for help when I need it, to admit when I'm wrong. And I have lots of things that I'm trying to work on. I'm a human just like everybody else. Something in my life I'm trying to improve because my sweet wife brought it to my attention is yelling. Yeah. Anger, right? Like when your kids do the craziest things, they don't listen. They do exactly what you said not to do, and you're just so frustrated. Or when they just like spill cereal. Okay, whatever. But there's raising your voice, and then there's yelling. She brought it to my attention that I tend to go to that place more often than I should. And what that does is it causes my kids to be what? Scared. Scared of me. <laughs> this is a tricky one because any dads out there listening, you want your kids to be scared of you a little bit. I know. He, right? he, that, that's the thing he wants. But I'm like, no, not, you don't want your kids to be scared of you. Okay. But in a, not in a healthy way. Just like when dad says it, you better do it. Like we all want that, right? <laughs> and for good reason. But she brought it to my attention in a way that I, I understood it. And I said, okay, you're right, which is we, I don't want them to be scared. I don't want them to be scared to tell me that they spilled the milk. Because I hope that when it comes time to telling me things that they're struggling with, maybe they have developed a problem with pornography or they, they don't feel like they fit in at school or certain things that are real, I want them to be able to come to me with ease and not think that I'm going to yell like I would over. Right. So what, how, what, do, left, what are you doing? Who left the door open? So anyway, I did this. I, I found a guy on Instagram doing this challenge. And when he talked about it, I was like, oh, my gosh, I've been praying for this thing more than anything else. Because I keep failing at it. I've been praying for the, like just the ability, the tools, the strength to just not yell, to be soft, to meet the storm with calm. I do that with so many other situations in life. But when it comes to my kids and these things, like leaving the door open or leaving the fridge open, I just get so mad. This dad's doing a challenge. He's like, listen, I don't have all the tools. I don't have all the answers. Right now, I'm just, I'm just starting a challenge with myself. So it was a 30-day challenge to not yell. And if you raised your voice with any of your kids, even if they're wrong, then you had to pay them $5. Five ducks, no big deal. To them, it's a big deal. But to you, it's more of just like, okay, I have to own up to what I did wrong. So I he's got it. this big stack of fives. Yeah, but guess what? I'm on day four, and I've only used one. It's pretty good. He's got a streak. He's got a streak going. <laughs> but what I've learned is I need a challenge. There's something, and for some people who are like, well, that's a ridiculous thing to like change behavior. It's working. I'm trying to do something to help me. And I think a lot of times when we're trying to overcome something in life, we just have to get started. Yeah. Something has to force us into getting that started. And then throughout the process, we gain the tools, the understanding, yeah, the ability to like change. Yeah, absolutely. So right now I'm white knuckling it, avoiding the $5, but I'm starting to learn and I'm showing myself I can do it. Today's topic. Wow. Let's get back to it. Today's topic. This is a big one, so hear it. Why you and how you are your loved one's only chance at recovery. I love this topic so much. So as we've been discussing it, I've just been getting really excited about it. 
I know for a lot of people, it's one makes them want to pull their hair out. Like, what me? What? What? What do I have to do with this? Yeah. I want to clearly go through some things with you to help you understand why you and how you are the only chance that they have at recovery. I love it. It's not. This isn't an opinion of mine. This is statistically speaking. The very few people who actually escape these life-threatening addictions because they all progress over time and become life-threatening are those that have a family around them or some sort of support group that learns how to do this. Yep. My addiction of many years came to an abrupt halt in a matter of what months, I think. I don't know the exact time frame, but let's just say it's like an addiction of many years came to a, a halt in a matter of like maybe eight or nine, ten months once my family learned how to do this. Once they got help from someone, they got the tools and understanding of how to do this, it changed everything. So why was it them, why was it them that made the difference? When the world looks at me when I was in my situation and anyone else, like, you need to knock it off. Like, come on. The, pile, the consequences are piling up all around you. The wreckage is undeniable. Come on. Being stuck in addiction is like being held hostage in a place that you cannot comprehend. I was unable, as much as I wanted to. There were hundreds of times, and we have a video that talks about this on our website. Hundreds of times I, I wanted to change. I tried to change, and I fell right on my face, and I resorted back to what I knew best. And over This time, is the masterclass video, by the way. Anybody can watch it. It's free. Over time, I developed an illness, which is the disease concept of addiction, and I could not find my way out. So, yes, it was them. It was them that made all the difference. And when I say that it was them that made all the difference, it wasn't even a judge or a court order. I mean, of course, those scared me. And yeah, you had both of those in there. But it was them who learned how to help me through this. Now, did I have to do all the work? Did I have to show up for the groups? Did I have to have the clean urine drug tests? Yes, I had to do all that. I had to do what was required. But it was them that got the process started. And then it was them who learned how to help me throughout the journey. When I was frustrated, when I wanted to give up, when I felt like I was better and had a false sense of confidence that I had overcome it, it was them who kept me going. I love that. The number one component, and if I've shared this before in every podcast, I hope you hear it and remember it and never forget it. Yeah, what is the number one component to recovery? The number one component to a long-term recovery is time. We all know that coming to believe in a power greater than yourself known as God that can restore you to sanity and to give you forgiveness that you need, we all know that that is the pinnacle. Like, that's the hinge point. But the number one component, even before and above, is time. Well, because that takes time. In order to believe in something like that, especially something like God, you have to have time. In order to re rewire your brain and learn new ways to cope with things it takes time in order to learn to peel back the layers of the onion and figure out like what is it that hurts inside it takes time yep so not only is someone or something have to intervene and there's no better thing to do that to do that than a family other times what are some other examples of things that intervene <laughs> well it's either a judge or death yeah no not good the family's the best route but not only that learning how to effectively intervene and to get them started in a process of recovery, but it's how to support that. And I'm sorry to tell you, sometimes that means, and it feels like to your loved one that you're being manipulative, that you're being controlling. 
Sometimes people think it's like, oh, well, we're like persuading them and dangling a carrot in them to keep them going. Yes, yes, and yes. They are so mad. And for the first time, they're looking at their life, how terrible it is. Trust me, they could be living in a, tra- a broken down trailer with a buddy named Bob, smoking meth, with holes all over their face, clothes stink, and they can't see it. They can't smell it because they still have a poison that removes them from it. Once you take that poison, then all of a sudden they're like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. So it's extremely difficult, and it's going to require some serious support. This is the missing link. Like, the answer is family. Yeah. Man, it gets me riled up. No, but I I, I love it, and that's why I was so excited about this topic today, to be completely honest. And I want to step in and just say – I know what you're all thinking, and that is like, well, that's not fair. <laughs> yeah. And you're, you, you are so right. And I know, I know that it's, it's totally not fair. And I even can identify with some of those feelings of anger when you're having to do twice the work because the person that you love is out of control and making your life harder. And in fact, they're actually abusing you. They're, they're verbally and emotionally abusing you and manipulating you and, and causing chaos in your life in every way, disconnecting you from important relationships, disconnecting you from yourself. So it isn't fair. I agree with that 100%. And, and your natural self wants to say, well, screw you. You got yourself into this. Like, I'm... Sorry, but you're you dug your grave. Now you get to sleep in it. And that, by the way, is a very common feeling, but one that a lot of people get hung up on. And that's where they stay. Yeah. And I get it. I I do like I get it because that is your natural, your natural self, like just rearing its its ugly head. And I say ugly because it is ugly if you really think about it. Because if you let your spiritual self take over and see it for what it really is, if you could zoom out and have like a God's eye view, right? If you could do that, then you could see how your role is actually the most critical role at this moment. And, and I have actually read this quote before um, in previous podcasts, but it's one of my favorites because – it articulates it so, 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 so well. And it's, it's um, from Boyd K. Packer. And he says, addiction has the, the capacity to disconnect the human will and nullify moral agency. That is a fact. That is a fact. Wow. So that person that you're super mad at and that you feel like should have to sleep in the grave that they dug, that's the truth about them. They don't get to choose anymore. You do get to choose. They don't get to. Yeah, so what do you choose to do? So that's your only choice is, is to choose to, to be the person that jumps in, even though it's not fair, and say, I'm going to fight for you until you're strong enough to fight for yourself. And, you know, if you go to any city in our country, you start to see there's a problem with the homeless homelessness. Yeah, including if, the city I live in. If you go to any corrections facility you will soon soon learn (laughs) they're almost turning people away because they're bursting at the seams i'm not saying everyone but a vast majority of the people in both of those situations it started here 
started with something uncomfortable, mental illness, something they're struggling with. They found a solution in drugs or alcohol or sex or whatever it was. And now <clears throat> their situation is because the people in their life finally did that. They're like, good riddance. If you're not going to knock it off, if you're not going to want to do more for your life, then I'm done. Then they end up in these places and situations because there's no one left to help them. Right. All of these people are stuck there because they cannot get out on their own and they don't have anyone left to do it. So for those people who've just had it and finally say, you know what, it's better. I've tried, done what I can, and I just can't help them anymore and you have to sever ties. I get it. That happens to a lot of people. But for those of you that are stuck there going, no, I love them. This is my child. This is my spouse. I cannot give up on them. Let's learn how to actually change the outcome. Not to hope for it, not to wait for a miracle, but to get tactical and strategic. Now, remember, addiction doesn't play by the rules. And just sorry to interrupt. There's no one that does that better than us. I'm sorry. It's true. That's what we do best is we help people learn how to do that. That's why we exist. It is from years of experience learning and educating myself to do this line of work, but it's having walked through it. Nothing changed from when I went through it till now in the fact that when a family learns how to do this, everything changes. And I will. I'll fast forward to the end. Let's say a family does this. They come together. They learn. They put together the tools and resources. They get themselves ready, and they are the ones who intervene with their loved one, and they don't get the favorable outcome. Right. Their loved one dies in a car accident. Their loved one dies of a drug overdose. Their loved one gets in trouble and gets incarcerated. Even the people that that is the outcome for are liberated because they, they did the work to help them. They did it and they offered it to them. So when these tragic things happen, they don't have to sit and live a lifetime of regret that, man, I should have done something else. Or yeah. maybe we should have just tried this. Or gosh, if I wouldn't have been so held back by this or fearful of that, and I just would have had the courage to do what it takes, maybe they would have had a chance. Right. You don't have to live like that. It is a win-win. You either get them the help they need because they have no other choice and you're the ones that learn to intervene, or you set yourself free from fear, doubt, and guilt waiting for a magical day that was never going to come on its own. No. Okay, so, sorry. Yeah, that's okay. The difference, there's a big difference. Remember, we touched on this recently too, between uh, sobriety and recovery. Sobriety is the abstinence of the drug, whatever the substance, and that's just counting time. And that's usually the beginning process for people. Oh, I got, a, I got one day clean. I got a week clean. I got 30 days clean. Recovery is the process of healing. Who cares what you were doing? I don't care if you're smoking meth or you're addicted to porn, gambling, whatever it is. What was unsettled inside? Maybe you experienced trauma. Maybe you just feel insecure. Maybe you don't feel like you were seen or had any friends. What is it that hurt or was uncomfortable that found and you found a solution for? Right? Yeah. That's the process. That's that recovery. That takes time. Yeah. That takes time. Like, no one is going to discover that in 30 days or 60 days. It's a process of first getting into sobriety where you just stop taking the poison. Then it's continuing to peel back the layers of the onion and figure out why you were. Like, why can't you live life without these things? Like, why can't you find the joy that you found in drugs and alcohol in other things or, in, you know, on your own? Right. Also, the reason that you need help 
is during the process, recovery is sloppy. If you get a loved one that goes into treatment, maybe many of you have, and you realize that it didn't last, they left early, a month later they were back doing what they were supposed to, the process of recovery is sloppy. It also is just maddening. You need to learn how to support them, and you need someone helping you the entire way through, learning how to support them. In our program, for example, this week, there were a few in our, in our group for spouses, there were a few wives, right? And we're talking about women who are married to grown men. Not long ago, they were successful, strong, big, powerful men. And now they're babysitting them like a child. One of them, their, their, their husband, finished treatment, went into an IOP program, which is an intensive outpatient program, and he was good. He was doing it. He was going to do whatever he took. He wanted his wife back. He wanted to save their marriage, wanted to mend relationships with his children, repair financial damage, all that. Well, about three weeks into this 90-day extended care program, he just kind of burned out. He's like, I can't do this. I can't go to work and then go to classes at night. I've got everything. I've got out of it what I can. She was empowered because of this program and the group support to be like, nope, red flag. Yeah. She was grateful with the progress he'd made and how much he changed. But she didn't want him to lose the progress. She wasn't blinded or manipulated by the disease that he's still trying to overcome to think that he was. Right. So she put her foot down. 40, a 48-year-old man, and said, no, I am proud of you to this point, but if you want me and you want this life together, you have to finish what you're doing. So huge. I know, and it sounds so simple, right? But the people who don't have a program and don't have a support would group... Would never, ever be able to say that. They, they would go, okay, up. I get it. Why? I'm tired of it, too. Let's move on with our lives. And they see them. They're like, yep. yeah. Yeah, that's you what I mean. Like, you're, like you're like, yeah, you are doing good. You're convincing. You actually sound like you, you look are like better. yourself again. You, yeah. And guess what? That person, the woman shared something that was powerful too. You know how long that she has had a void from the needs of a woman? Right. That he couldn't give her to make her feel chosen, to make her feel seen, to make her feel supported. She wanted that back. Right. Who wouldn't? But you can't rush that back. That you takes can't. time. But navigating all these things like, oh, what do they do here? When are they good here? When can they transition to this? It, you need support. Yes. Had yes. you not been through this, how the heck would you know? Right. No, that's that's the thing. And and so I, I that's why I was so excited to talk about this today was because I love helping people understand with clarity kind of like what, why their role is so, so critical when they love someone who's addicted. Because for so long, you feel powerless. You feel like you are at their mercy on like what do they choose but when you when you all of a sudden shift your mindset to like no what am i choosing how am i going to participate in this differently then it gives you so much power and i was actually this morning when i was getting my hair done i was talking to my awesome hairstylist and we were talking about addiction and she was she was like wow that is really powerful like i can see how this would would help so many people. And I said, yeah, think about it like this. It's like when you go bowling and like you put up the, you can choose to have like the bumpers up. <laughs> I mean, not everybody does, but when you go with kids, you put okay, the bumpers hold up. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Show your hands Why? to the camera. Oh, here. see that? That's how she lives her life. So when we go bowling, not only do our kids get the bumper rails, so does she, because she has to throw the bowling ball with both hands. And it's not a throw. It's kind of like a walk up and just huck it. Hey, I'm not. 
I am not a bowler. I didn't <laughs> want to be a bowler, okay? If I did, so I would have stubby nails. You need the bumper rails, too. Yeah. Okay. But talking about addiction, literally, it's like learning how to put those bumpers up for, for your person. Because like we've been talking about, the first part, like it's like buying your ticket to run a marathon. Yeah, you registered for the race. Good for you. You went to you went to rehab for 30 days or 40 days. Cool. You get to you, you get to start your race. But we all know that that is like not even I mean that's that's a tenth of the process, right? And not not even it's 1% of the process. The rest of it is all the training and all the work and all the all the things you do to prepare for the journey ahead. And so if you learn how to put those bumper rails up for your person that you love so much, then as they're figuring things out and swaying from side to side, they can't really fall off into the gutter and get hurt too bad, right? Because you have all of these things prepared and you're not thrown off by it. They're not allowed to manipulate you because you see it coming. You have it prepared. It's just, it's just incredible. Well, let's rewind and regroup. Why do so many people fail at that? Well, we mentioned some. But because when someone changes, even within like 30 or 60 days, they change so much from what they were just a little bit ago. Yes. They were a mess. Now you see that they're changing. They're putting some effort into. All of a sudden, they kind of sound like themselves again. They're making sense. We all jump ship before a person's had what? Time. Time to heal. This isn't a problem. We're not trying to remove an, a, a substance. If you do it this way, you're going to remove a substance and it's not going to be for long before they take it again or find a different one. Right. We're trying to give them time to heal. And they are going to want to, out of frustration, out of false security that they're better, they're going to want to leave. And so it's like you said, that's a good example. Like you think of what bumper rails go up and our one son throws the ball like he's drunk. Yes, he does. It goes back and forth off the bumpers like 13 times thinking it's going to break them. Yes. But the ball always ends up. Somehow he gets pins down every time. Might be one or two, and it was reckless and embarrassing. But but and you know what? Most everybody's loved one, it is going to be reckless and embarrassing. Yes. Well, times. because like you said earlier, recovery is sloppy. There is nothing pretty about it. Yeah. And there's the old, the there's old, moments along the way. The but. elephant in the room is that it isn't fair. You have so much going on. You're the one that's been paying the bills, keeping the family together, nurturing the relationships in your home, harboring secrets about your loved one because the mess that they've put you in. You, you've held the whole world together, and now you're telling me that I have to go learn about how to help them? Yes, you have to, you have to learn what your role in their recovery is, and you have to actually learn like the tactical things that you're going to put into place so that you are one step ahead of this addiction monster that is hunting your person down, regardless of how much time they have under their belt as in sobriety. It, so, so that is the most critical thing, is that learning how to actually do that. So, it is, and I want to talk about our approach and how it works. That's what I was going to ask you, is just to kind of explain our approach and like what is different about how we do this. Yeah, and so we're wrapping up here, but I do want to remind you, when you look at these situations, it's frustrating. Someone you love made some poor choices, poor behavior, hung out the wrong people, just did things that made you so frustrated, disappointed, embarrassed because you raised someone better or you married someone better. Right. Fine. True, true, true. Now here you are. And what we do as humans is we look at people 
that are deep in these addictions and we go, knock it off. Or you remember who they were before this and you're like, hey, when are they going to wake up and be that person again? Be that person for me again. If you had someone in a totally different situation that got into a head-on collision, was paralyzed from the waist down, and the, the process of recovery was grueling, expensive, long-term, super demanding. Inconvenient. We all move forward as hard as it is because those situations, I mean, we know some of them, one, I, I, heaven forbid, are, are very difficult. But we do it. In addiction, we don't see the person as broken. We just see them as like, what the hell is wrong with you? Why do you keep doing this? They are broken. Look, I'm going to get to my point, but look at the number one leading cause of death, people ages 18 to 45. It's overdose to fentanyl, one drug. Then if you go down the list, the leading cause of death, you have like alcohol-related accidents. You have other drug overdose-related accidents. I mean, it's, a, it's insane that if you take all these things and they break them out, I hate that they break them out. Like if you just took all the deaths related to drugs and alcohol and nicotine or whatever, it is one, two, three, four, five. Then it's things like heart disease, cancer, and stuff like that. It is a serious problem. There are people that are broken. So we've got to make shift our mindset of how do we help them. So our approach, people always say, what's your approach? Well, our approach is to help the family first. Yeah, they're like, why don't you work with the addicts? We, yeah. Our, our, our business motto is there's, nothing, there's no greater threat in the world to addiction than a family who learns how to effectively intervene and support a full program of recovery. There's a lot more to it. If you Google it, I mean, one of the models that's very similar to what we do, it's kind of almost identical, is the craft model. Craft, like craft cheese. You've heard that, right? Except spelled with a C. Oh, see what I mean? <laughs> I went to BYU. Not everyone I that went did. to BYU is smart. That's true, but I am. Okay, craft method stands for community reinforcement and family training is intended to help family members of addicts learn how to steer their loved one away from substance abuse. It is a great method for someone that's refusing treatment or refusing to admit that they are no longer in control of how much they consume or their life in general. It goes on and on, and there's a lot of doctors. This, was, this method was started back, I think, in like the 70s. No, yeah. or the, was it the 90s? I think it was the 90s. But I've done interventions. I did them for a while. I think if, you, if you're familiar with them, it's actually one of the longest standing shows on A&E television. People stream everything now, but it's a show intervention. It's kind of like where everybody gangs up and makes this heroic effort, usually a spiritual setting, and pleads with someone to go get help. Yeah, and writing letters and all that. They send them off and hope for a miracle. Yeah. That is one step in our process. Like maybe let's say there's 25 steps, that's one. What, to get them to go to treatment? Yeah, is we're going to all get united and we're going to get them to treatment. But not like that. But then all the other steps include, how have you been affected? How has this affected you in the way you live and function with other people in your life? How has this disconnected you from the things that bring you joy? Let's get you healthy. Now also, what else do they need to do? What happens when they leave treatment? What is your role? How do you enforce them to keep going when you don't have total control of them? How do you hold them accountable? How do you keep boundaries? What happens if they relapse? What if they leave treatment? What do we do then? I mean, there there are just a myriad of problems. Because recovery is sloppy. 
And I also want to bring back and remind you of what I just did at the beginning of this show. I don't want to burst the bubble, but there are a good percentage of people when a family does this, an amazing family, a great God-fearing, hardworking, incredible family does this, their loved one chooses not to get help. Their loved one chooses to go down this path and end up homeless or they die from this. The family gets a chance to rise from the ashes, start to take this terrible experience to be something that transforms them into a better, stronger, healthier family. They get to mend relationships with other siblings or children in the family. There's people in my, our program who, whose loved one have not had a favorable outcome, and guess what they're doing now? They're, th they're in it to continue to get support, but also to help people who are stuck in that crazy place. Yeah, it's so beautiful. You get to bless other people's lives. It is beautiful. So we love it. We're passionate about it. I know it's not the most hip, awesome topic. We could sit here and talk about aliens or UFOs or our sex life or something that would be like, ooh. That was all over the place. But truly, our program is, it's, it's not for everyone. We know that. And we realize that there, we can't change the world and make it so that every person that's struggling with addiction has a family that is willing and capable and has the resources to help them. I wish that was true, but it's not. But what we can do is use our skill set to bless the lives of others, those who are saying help. I want to know. I'm Googling how to help my addict son every night, and I, ha I don't have any answers. This is the answer. We know how to do it. It's a proven model. We know how. And best of all, we know how to help your journey regardless of what they end up choosing. But we do give, we, we will help you give them their very, very best chance. Amen. Amen. So thanks for wrapping that up. I'm going to, can I do the serenity prayer? You always better end. I always love when you do anything that ends anything. Um, okay. But I do want to thank you. I know she thanked you at the beginning. Please, if this, if this resource, this platform is helping you in your situation, share it. Even if it's with that one person that you know, that you've come to know that's also in a difficult situation, share it with them. Yeah. And we are on YouTube now. You can see my nails. <laughs> <laughs> on YouTube. Um, that so, alone is worth And it. even if you are like, why well, I, I like to listen to the podcast. I don't like to watch it on YouTube. That's fine. But subscribe to our YouTube channel to, because it really actually does help yeah, us. Help us out. Um, so if you could do that, that would be awesome. And I'm going to leave you guys with a serenity prayer for families. God grant me the serenity to know that I cannot change other people. The courage to change the person that I can and the wisdom to know that it is me. Have a great week.